Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. They might do it to get better hair, but actually they're bringing all of us together because next time their kid is hair oiling in school, that they're going to be like, oh, I do that too, versus saying, why do you do that? And I think that that's like kind of the best education is if we can do it in a way that isn't like, why don't you know this? But hey, let me show you something that's really cool. That's going to help you. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Michelle Ranavant, founder of Ranavant. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right, Ranavan is a line of beautiful skin and hair treatments that honor South Asian heritage. Every formulation is composed of the highest caliber Ayurvedic ingredients for transformative skin and hair care results across all skin and hair types. Distinguished Ayurvedic and adaptogenic cutting edge actives such as saffron, ashwagandha, turmeric, Amla and Bakuchi are hand-selected for real results. The luxurious collection is proven by science and rooted in ritual. Founded in 2017, Ranavat recently launched in Sephora with eight of their best-selling products. The brand proudly donates 1% of proceeds to the Desai Foundation, a nonprofit organization in India, that empowers women and children through community programs to elevate health and livelihood in India and the U.S. Michelle, oh my goodness, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so excited to have you on the show. It has been a long time coming, my friend. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. I just like remember when we first met and we were like at BeautyCon and you gave me a ride and like, you were talking about the brand and fast forward all of the awards and the accolades and Sephora, and you're the first South Asian Ayurvedic skincare brand to launch in Harrods. Like it's just phenomenal what you've built. So for those of you who haven't had the esteemed privilege like I have of being in Michelle's orbit and hugging her, Tell everyone, Michelle, who you are, how you got started, and everything about your journey. Oh my God! Well, thank you, Kendra. Um, no, I mean, I the the feeling is very mutual, and you know the the journey really started from such an authentic place. Just growing up with immigrant parents, I think gives you a work ethic, a drive, and just kind of being between two cultures my whole life is truly what inspired the brand. And just, you know, long to kind of sum it up, I would say I was always fighting with those, you know, things like hair oiling or Indian traditions. And I started to really see their value. I think that happens as we get older. And I wanted that validation across mainstream retail and really this ability to share with a broader beauty community because I really felt that these rituals deserved uh, their spot on the shelves of the most you know, coveted retailers. So that's really what drives me. 
Well, and it's so funny. We have such similar backgrounds, but different cultures, but some of the same nuances. When we think about, you know, we deserve to be here. We have a right. How do we balance our culture with what we're told is beautiful or the products that are getting so much love and shine? And you have managed to, and I wouldn't even say manage, you're thriving in this space of really being true to your cultural heritage and infusing that in into products and talk about kind of, because you talk about kind of having, you know, being between cultures and this duality, talk about what that was like when you started down this journey of creating a brand. Like, how did you say, I want to go this direction, not that direction and the meaning of culture? I think it all for me just comes back to authenticity. And also we all, you know, while it may be different cultures or even in the same culture, we relate to things differently. So for example, my husband, when it comes to India, you know, for him, the connection is really through food. And for me, it was very much in dance. And that expression in dance provided me with so much community. It provided me with a bond to my culture and this connection and this desire to really share it with people outside of the community. And when you think about beauty, and I'm sure you can relate to this because you're you know, very much in the beauty industry yourself, I just feel like beauty is what brings people together. You know, someone tells you about a hot new product, you're all of a sudden like, I need to know everything. And that's what I feel was missing, you know, is that I didn't feel comfortable sharing. You know, I don't think people were even interested in, okay, well, hair oiling. Well, that's weird. Why would you put oil in your hair? Versus being like, oh my God, tell me everything. I want to know how it works. And that's kind of where I felt like that means that there's an opportunity and a, a gap that we need to bridge. You know, it really is. And it's so funny because, you know, we started our nonprofit Beauty United because beauty really is the unifying principle. And no matter who you are, what you believe. And I like that analogy with your husband too, because we can be the same, but we each have a different experience of how we approach our culture, how we grew up in our culture, how we infuse culture in everything that we do. And so when you think about your appreciation of culture, right, it's explicit, it's endearing, like, and I think too, starting out and even now, have you had an experience where you kind of didn't show up completely because you were trying to figure out how do I look or feel this way or how do I fit in or how do I make sure that I'm not, you know, um, limiting the potential of what my brands could be? You know, I think that there were absolutely a lot of points. Like one great example is, you know, the sense of the products and they're super, super authentic. And I think that that, Early on when I was talking to retailers, they're like, well, it might be a little too Indian for people. Like, I just don't know if people are going to connect with like this type of authentic scent. It's a little different than what people would expect. And I think there was definitely some trepidation. And I think that honestly, I just never changed it because I had a very (laughs) strong opinion of, well, um, if I'm bringing, you know, especially as like the first Ayurvedic skincare brand to be at Sephora or, you know, that type of major retailer, I just couldn't do it by changing something about our culture. And sometimes that is like the scent and the experience. And I know that maybe Indian scents aren't for everyone, but I don't think all scents are for everyone anyway. And I never wanted to sacrifice that authenticity. And I'm so glad I, I, you know, I stuck with it because eventually, um, you know, it did get broader recognition. And I, I actually think we've kind of proved people wrong in that sense. Like people do, even though they didn't grow up with saffron and those types of like more intense fragrances, they still connect with it. And I think that the sensorial experience of discovering something new is something you almost never forget. And so I think it actually ended up becoming a benefit to what we were creating because it was so unique. Absolutely. And it's so crazy for someone to say that's too Indian. Like, what does that even mean? 
You know, I, I hear it a lot too when someone's like, that's too black like that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even, I can't understand that. Like, what is pushing you over the yeah, scale? Yeah, being when like you're so too many- authentic. Like what does being too authentic, you can't be too authentic. You, that's what we want. We want the real. And that's what separates it. When you talk about uniqueness, that is what separates it. And, you know, I was reading someone once told you that um, Indian beauty isn't aspirational. And it's crazy when you think about the luxurious nature of just Indian culture. It's beautiful. And even the intensity of the fragrances, that screams luxury to me. So when people say Indian beauty is an aspirational, you've truly proven them wrong. You're going into the most aspirational destinations for skincare. Well, that's kind of part of the luxury positioning, to be honest, is I feel that artisans and history and culture, like to me, that's what rich is. It's it's like something that has a deeper meaning. And I when I and I swear that actually happened. And you know, at first I tried to say like, oh no, but like Indian people are known for their hair, you know, and I think they were trying to make a parallel to like, well, Korean beauty is doing really well because Koreans are known for their skin. Like Indian people aren't known for anything. And I started to get like a little defensive about it. I know it was totally wrong. And then I started to be like, no, but we're known for this. And then I was like, wait a minute, what just happened? And let's actually use that as an indicator that education is needed. So I'm not going to say that that person, you know, it's like, maybe it's not that person's fault. Maybe it's the fact that education is needed and awareness needs to be created around the richness of our culture. So here is an opportunity to really share that lens. And so that's kind of, it just ended up like fueling me in a way to then go back and say, okay, I think this person is feeling that way, not because they're a bad person, but because they just don't know. And I'm going to change that. That is so true. It's like a lot of times people just don't know. And then it's like, once you know, then you have the opportunity to do better. And I think it's, you know, it's this interesting thing. Like, is it my job to educate you? Is it Google's job to educate you? Like whose job is it to provide the education? And I think it's, multiple responsibilities. Yeah, I think I agree on, I mean, I think that's definitely a very like heated debate in some ways, but I think for me, if I can create more connection through the product, through through sticking to my guns and bringing in an authentic, so people may not actually know they're being educated, they might just be exposed to it and connect with it and not realize that, oh, like I'm actually doing a really like a South Asian ritual and they're they're excited about it. Like they may not realize they might do it to get better hair, but actually they're bringing all of us together because next time their kid is hair oiling in school that they're going to be like, oh, I do that too, versus saying, why do you do that? And I think that that's like kind of the best education is if we can do it in a way that isn't like, why don't you know this? But hey, let me show you something that's really cool. That's going to help you. Well, and that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, there's so much underlying and subtle education in your products, right? Even just the ability to have a conversation about saffron and jasmine and rose, like that's in it. That's in and of itself education just by interacting with the brand. And you do so much on social media that's so good with your reels. So you're a natural kind of educator when it comes to the brands. And talk about, I mean, it's just been such a journey for you. Like talk about going from, I had this idea, I want to bring in my culture and now I'm launching your product. You have bootstrapped this meaning that you didn't raise money, you've been self-funded. We have so many entrepreneurs who are trying to navigate that journey. So take us back a bit and talk about that. So it's definitely something that I feel like I have zero judgment on people that take investors and you know, I don't favor one path or the other because ultimately money is a very, very personal thing and everyone is in a different scenario. So I would never judge someone for doing one thing or the other. But for me, I did work in investment banking for six years 
And so I did have some savings from that point. I also did not hire my first person until four years in, which I don't think that's like for everyone to be able to, you know, grind it out for that long, um, whether it be from salary perspective or from just like mentally, you know, not having a lot of resources. I feel like I like doing things very scrappy. So it kind of fit my personality. And I'm also not someone that, rushes, you know, I'm okay with like waiting for things to happen. And I think that's why self-funding worked out for me because I think my personality type and my philosophy is really connected to it. Um, so that's, I mean, I did it in a way where it's like, you know, I launched with the, with packaging that was very basic. You know, I was able to customize the labels and create different SKUs. I was able to pick up 200 units in LA when I needed it. So, you know, I, I think that like I launched on a very, very small scale. And I, I think that that also really is like dependent on you and your goals. Like if you're okay with, like, I don't think I launched with like the most beautiful looking product. I think that was, it took two and a half years and then I really invested and then I went in big, but that was after I had a lot of data on the fact that it might work. Well, and the, the data piece is key and you're right. You know, each entrepreneur has their own journey. I love that money is a very personal thing. And it really is in terms of when you're thinking about what do you have to get started? What do you need? What are the resources? You've been very consistent in terms of your growth path. And even just when you talk about the, the notion of now I'm going to change my packaging. So when you decided, okay, two years in, I'm going to now change my packaging. I'm going to grow and expand and even get to a place where I want to add more products. You talk about listening to your consumers and having that data. What was that transition been like? Um, you know, I think it's something that I still continue to this day. And I think the word customer, I would even broaden that to include mentors in the industry because I definitely had mentors and people, um, one person in particular, Margarita, who uh, used to be the head merchant at Sephora. Do you know her, Margarita? I'm, yes. <laughs> I don't know her personally. I've heard of her. So she's amazing. And she was like, your product is so royal. I love everything about it. But she's like, the packaging is not royal. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I probably need to fix that. So, you know, I listened to her and I got a lot of feedback. I got a lot of feedback that my packaging was good, by the way, too. So I think there's a little bit of an art that you have to know who to listen to. And I felt like I did see her point in sharing that information with me. And I took it very seriously. And I thought, man, you know, I've been doing this for a year and a half. Why am I not getting to where I want to be? And I, I was, again, very content with my place, but I'm always looking to improve. And so if someone was going to give me a valuable piece of free advice, I was going to dig into it. And ultimately, I saw her point and I was like, you know what? You're totally right. I need to I need to elevate. I need to take this to the next level. And that's how it happened. Well, and it's, we always talk about this notion of mentors and champions. And I think it's smart to say you can listen to it and then you kind of have to shuffle through it and decide what's going to be the best for you. And was there a moment because your ingredients are so rich and so luxurious. And so even in that moment of deciding to do branding and packaging, you still didn't take funding. Did you have to make sacrifices? Was it, I'm not going to sacrifice my ingredients for my packaging? I think in talking to founders, literally was just talking with the founder whose packaging is so expensive that it, it's just, it's not going to work. And so we're going through this exercise of what can I give so that I can get packaging that works? Do I need the outer carton and I can still maintain my ingredients? How did you find that balance? Um, I mean, I'll just say that I am like such a hustler and negotiator <laughs> that I make it happen. Like I, I just always worked with the best manufacturers and I thought about it one step ahead. Like I was always the smallest customer. And so I really did make sure that at all points in time, I was operating in my means because I didn't want to create something that then wouldn't 
really, I wouldn't be able to scale with it. Or let's say I was losing money and then I'll just like find a way to make it work later. I never did that. So, you know, the pricing of the product does reflect the quality. And I think that allows me to put what I need to put in, in order to create the experience. So I just made sure that I wasn't under promising something that I, I wasn't afraid to attach the price that I needed to attach to maintain what needed to be created because ultimately the consumer loses when you're having to cut corners. And I think they'd rather pay the better price, but know that they're just always going to get that consistent quality. Well, and that is so crucial because you can have something beautiful and something at a different price point. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the holy grail of products is making sure that it works. And we have to pay for things that have the ingredients that actually work for the needs of which we're trying to serve for ourselves. And so you've been so bullish about that and it's really paid off. And so when you think about now I've redone my packaging, I've stayed true to my ingredients, and then we go into the next two years. And so you said four years later, you then hired someone other than yourself. And we get a lot of questions. What's my first hire? When do I hire? Where did you get that kind of tenacity to go that far and then say, now it's time? Well, I think I should have hired like, way before. So I think for me, it was like pretty over obvious that it just wasn't working. Like we had a really like knock on wood, great holiday season last year. And, you know, it just takes time to find the right people. But I kind of slogged through that one just by such a thin margin. And I did have, I think the first person officially came on in November. I mean, I did have a lot of part-time contractors, you know, I'm definitely not going to say that like I did all that on my own for sure. No, but really from like an employee perspective and team perspective, you know, that didn't happen until November of last year. But I think for me, it was like way overdue. And this year, some of it was honestly like, we haven't even launched a product this year because now our team is expanding and it just takes a lot of time to kind of create processes and undo all of the like one-off things that I was doing and being able to really like hand it off to another person, fix the mistakes that I made, like from an inventory and supply perspective and beyond. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it does take a lot of time even after you hire the person. It really does. It's not like you hire someone and there's a magic wand that happens and they're like, oh, I can come in and grow your business and take over. I was talking to another founder and CEO and it's like, it's literally going to take six months to a year to get someone to a place when you've been running and running. And, and they're also at a five-year mark. And so it does take time. And one of the things that I love you said is fixing mistakes. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know everything. No one does. And when we have a brain trust of people around us to help, it helps us overcome those mistakes faster. So talk about the mistakes in terms of it takes a lot for someone to say, I made a mistake. Help me fix it. What were some of the things that you learned in that experience as you're bringing on people and looking at the mistakes? There were a lot of mistakes. And I would say... Some of it was like I was in the mode of being really small and scrappy. And then I didn't like have a switch where I was like, all of a sudden I'm like a real company. And so that was a hard adjustment because I would always, you know, I'd be working with the operations person and we'd be like, okay, like we'll just order, you know, 10,000 units. And then we'd literally like not have enough units. And then we'd be like, well, why didn't we order more? And, and even she, I think that's like when I realized it's like, you know, we keep just like saying that we're a small company and we have these small quantities, but she's like, I actually think we need to order in way bigger quantities. Like we just have a mindset that's like, we're not that. And so part of it was like, yeah, I mean, I think I just operated on, let me just get the least amount of things that I can, because I'll probably change it. Or who knows if I want to, you know, invest that much in this packaging or that thing, I want to keep it flexible. And I actually had to change my mindset completely to be like, no, actually now I can afford 
and I should do things because then when it's out of stock, it makes it, it's just way worse. Um, and so I should feel okay and feel confident that I will move those units. And so, yeah, it was just this like big mentality shift. And then I think the other thing is like, when it's just you, your computer on your mission, you're like, it's like a Zen that I think any entrepreneur just, I feel like for me, I just love it. I love going in and like doing the work. And then at some point you have to realize that that's not effective. You're not um, good at everything. And there are people that are better than you. And then that's when you have to like transition into being a manager. I didn't have an issue with admitting that I wasn't the right person. Like, I mean, for operations specifically, and I could go into really every department, like, yeah, I'm an industrial engineer. I know how to do it, but do I actually have the time and energy to dedicate? And also, did I come from like a beauty brand that like is specifically related to this? No, I don't. There are people that have done that. And I just feel like I had to become a manager to something that I didn't even really like have a full grasp on. And that's like a whole new skill set. Um, so I think I'm still in manager learning mode, like getting my own little M fake MBA on the side, um, <laughs> trying to figure out like, how do we cross collaborate? How, what's management structure? All of those exciting things. Like it's a whole new skill now. Oh my goodness. Oh, I always say like some of the hardest things for me in business is the people aspect of it in terms mm -hmm. of having everyone march to the same beat while still respecting everyone's individual expertise and, you know, ideas and thoughts and vision and still like tracking on your own vision and holding that because at the end of the day, your vision still has to permeate through no matter how big you get. And that's how you lose the authenticity of the brand. And so when you think about kind of the growth and the people that you have hired, like what does that expansion look like for you and for the brand? I feel like we've been really fortunate to attract like the most incredible crew of people. And I am very impressed with the team. And I honestly didn't know that I had that skill set, but I will give myself a little bit of credit because they are yes. so amazing. Many of them come from beauty brands, like the, you know, really great experience within the beauty industry specifically. So I love that. But I think what's most incredible is everyone's willingness to partner. I think there is like a true we actually like the people. Everyone's very respectful. There's never this like accountability reporting issue. Like everyone feels like they want to help up and help out and step up. And so that's been really incredible. And I think that that was a huge concern for me because when I was thinking about building this brand alone, I'm like so in love with the brand and so in love with my job that I don't want to bring people in. And what if like, I don't get along with them or what if it's really stressful and what if they're, they kind of like, I bring someone in and it takes the fun out of being able to just do things myself. And I think a lot of that is like, yeah, you're never going to be right a hundred percent of the time, but I feel like, wow, I'm so pleasantly surprised at taking Like, I'm so glad I like left those worries behind because I mean, without these, this team, we wouldn't at all be where we are today. Like they're just, they've been so amazing. It's so interesting to hear you talk about it. And I'm just, I'm smiling because when I think about, you know, when I started my company brain trust, it was this notion of like smart people that I trust to get the job done and having those moments of where we know that we can do certain things by ourselves because, you know, we are who we are. Um, but we know that we can go so much further when we have the team. And so much of it is what you said in terms of changing mindset, because we all kind of struggle with where we were. And then we have to open our eyes and realize, oh, my goodness, this is where I am today. This is where I'm going. Look at how far I've come. And so when you think about, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the other thing is like professional development across, like part of my goal is yeah. like, I want people to feel like 
we are a training ground. So if someone, any of these people, which like, I hope they never leave, but let's, everyone has career development. Let's say that they go to another <laughs> firm. I want everyone to be like, oh my gosh, you worked at Ronavat that you're going to, I love, you're going to be amazing. And I just want people to come out getting the training and support that they need, feeling like they're growing professionally, getting like best in class skills that are going to just grow their own careers. Because that's just like what I would want if I was an employee. It's not about this mission for the brand. Yes, we're all focused on it. It's about life in general. It's about being better coming, you know, better leaving than you were coming in. And I say that about myself and I say that about everyone. So that's like, my goal has never been about how do I make more productive widgets or people? It's always been, how do we grow together as better humans? Ultimately, that's going to spill out into the company, of course, but it's never been like, how do I get something out of someone? I think that's like the total wrong approach to developing and nurturing talent. Well, and it's the merging of balance and work and life and how it comes together. And like, at the end of the day, like we're all humans and we're part of one humankind race. And so we have to make sure that we don't get so caught up in the widget that we lose sight of people. And Mm -hmm. I I feel the same way. I'm always just like, we're all not going to be here together forever. But if you can leave and say, my life was enriched, I learned something Mm -hmm. like that's when you know that we've done it right. It really is. I even say that about meetings. I'm like, I hate meetings where it's like you feel worse coming out of it than you did going into it. So my goal with like every meeting is, well, obviously to have, you know, clear purpose and how do we optimize just our time together. But I like to use a feeling. It's so touchy feely, but it's like we should feel energized when we're coming together. We shouldn't feel drained. So if we do feel drained, we're doing something wrong. And that's a huge just indicator that I use. Are you all back in in person working together? Are you in Zoom? What's your environment like? We are pretty hybrid. And that kind of goes into, you know, what you had mentioned before around just life in general, because we all have lives and important (laughs) things that we're, you know, working towards. And so I definitely think there's some level of flexibility that we like to provide. But there's also such a strong in-person benefit So we have like a team in LA um, and we try to meet up, but I think we're pretty spread out at the moment. And I I think I'm looking to prioritize getting together, you know, once a quarter to really like come together. It's nice. We are hybrid and we started a team Tuesday. And to your point, like just the ability to be together, not all the time, but to come back. I mean, you and I come from a culture of you're in the office all day, every day. And so it is as leaders kind of this shift and change in how we navigate. And I want to talk about the brand itself because it's so unique. It's so luxurious. It's so beautiful. Talk about this journey of going into Sephora. What was that like? Every founder is like, how do I do this? How do I break into retail? What was your journey? Oh, my God. I mean, it was such a a long journey, and I feel like I'm still on it in many ways. But Sephora, I think when I had come up with the initial concept of like, I want to bring Indian beauty into the forefront, I wanted to have its place in the beauty industry. I think Sephora like had popped into my mind on day one to be like, my goal would be that Indian tradition should be available at Sephora. And like, that was just always something that I had in my mind. I definitely didn't like define my success if I was in Sephora or not, because I mean, let's face it, it it is really tough to get there. So I thought maybe, you know, I probably don't have like a super high chance. So I'm not going to define my success on it, but it was something that did initially pop up into my head. And was an overall goal for what I wanted to do and an indicator for success. And so I, the process, I mean, honestly, one, I think is to just know that you want that, right? So saying, hey, that is a goal of mine that did pop up. And then I do have a vision board and I have um, a group of girls that I connect with that are not in the beauty industry or, or anything like that. Um, 
but they're a group of friends. And I had to form my vision board. And at that point, there was like another retailer that was like a little more interested than Sephora was. And um, but I had to form my vision board and they were like really pushing me to be like, well, you know, why did you have Sephora? And I just kept coming back to like, but it's luxurious. It's like, you know, and I kind of kept answering that. And then they were like, okay, well, that's your answer, but that's where you need to be. And at that time, I literally had like no lead. If anything, I think it was like probably more of a no than a yes from them. <laughs> but, I, but I kind of it reaffirmed that that was my goal. And I saw it on the vision board and I had my friend crew really like pushing and questioning and spoke with my mentor, Margarita. And I think everyone was kind of like, you know, the answer to this. And so I think honestly, that was part of it is like, know what you want to accomplish. So that's like, number one, put it on your vision board and make decisions. Like, I think it's easy to be like, well, I'm getting this other opportunity. So like, yeah, I know I said I wanted that, but like, you know, this is easier. This is here. I may never get that Sephora opportunity. So let me go, you know, chase something else. But this repetition and having this vision board and having these people around you kind of like steers you back. And it's kind of, I just think it's critical to have both of those components, the knowledge of what you want and then staying on that track to achieve. Oh my goodness. Knowledge of what you want and staying on that track. It is so easy to get blown off yourself with like the next shiny thing or someone coming to you and really being able to differentiate. And it's hard. It's really hard because there's this, especially when you're a founder, it's almost like this this notion of scarcity in some instances. Like, I have this, I'm trying to grow. Is there going to be another opportunity? And it's like deep down, you know, but there has to be something that holds you together. And I love a vision board. I am such a vision board girl too. I need to join your vision board circle. But you even should. if... I am. I'm like, Michelle, I'm in that. And it is, it's, it's the knowledge of what you want, staying true, having the people around you. And then as you started getting closer to Sephora, you ultimately had to make decisions about the SKUs, the stores. What was that process like for you? Um, well, I have to say that there were times where I had to say no to other things before I had any indication that Sephora was a yes. So that was like already number one that I did have like a pretty set view on what I envisioned and what I wanted. Um, and I will also say that Sephora was more of a no before it became a yes. So there was a test in there that really made me say, no, I really want this. And, you know, I'm not saying that that was like a real test that it happened, but in terms of the way that the events unfolded, it wasn't like I had something else in my back pocket and was like waiting. It was like, no, I had to say no to a lot of things. I could have been left with nothing. And then, and Sephora at that time, I honestly was probably more of a no, but I was like, okay, whatever it is, what it is. That's what I want. I want to keep that option open. And then it went from literally like no hopeless to like, yes, we're bringing you in like very quickly. And then I was like, wait, that is like so crazy that that happened. Cause like that would have been a really easy point in time where I totally should have or could have given up. Um, but in terms of like the rest of the process, honestly, I have to say like the Sephora team is so nurturing, so amazing. They have, and I always heard that from other brands, but then I was always scared because I'm like, yeah, but then they can just like be so harsh or, you know, whatever. But like, I didn't, I think harsh is good. I mean, they're not harsh, but providing feedback is really good and they do it because they want you to succeed and they care about growing your brand with you. And sometimes ideation or thought partnership is like, or even pushback is like the best thing you can get. And again, there is an art of knowing what to take and what not to take. And that just comes down to like you as a person, you just have to have a good sense for that. But I, I just feel like they've been an incredible partner and I'm, I'm honestly like super happy with the way everything's happened. Well, and it's your mindset. I love to hear you talk about it 
because your mindset is what's making it work so well because you're open to receiving the feedback. You're like, it might be harsh, it might be this, but we're in it together and you know that you have an amazing brand. And so the next evolution of that is being able to receive the feedback. And, and you said it earlier and deciphering like what's for my brand and what's not, but we're here together. So how do we move forward? And it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, your story, the tenacity, the consistency, which we've talked about. And one thing that I think is really fascinating is you've stayed true to your roots to be the first brand of your kind going in. You've stayed true there. What does it look like in terms of just India beauty culture? Because you mentioned Korea beauty before and India beauty being the first, overcoming that. What does that look like? What's the future? What do you hope for the entire, <laughs> I hate to say, how do you represent the entire industry? But truly, you're the, you are such a shining star of Indian beauty. What does it look like? Well, I hope that, you know, it looks more holistic, I guess. I mean, I think with beauty and the beauty industry in general, we've seen such a transformation in so many ways. Like there was a whole wellness movement that happened before we kind of dug into like the cultural background of beauty brands or beauty. And I feel like that wellness movement was very concerning in some ways, at least to me, because that was a time that I had launched and I was like pitching retailers. And so I heard a lot of feedback at that time. And it was like, you know, they'd sell adaptogenic this and that, you know, whether it be supplements or products and they would sell turmeric masks and really a ton of Ayurvedic products. But when I came in talking about it authentically, people were not receptive to it because they were saying like, oh, well, you know, the customer's not going to know what that is. Meanwhile, it was like a booming wellness industry. So I felt like that was that really set the stage for actually this need that emerged for people to act, to realize, wait a minute, all these amazing things actually came from this culture. And it's so exciting to learn about it as part, because it enhances your experience. When you know the why and the history and the cultural implication, you connect so much more. And so I think that that has really transformed or like kind of taken shape. I am excited to see what happens going forward because I do feel like a little bit of pressure because the whole like testing ground is like, is Indian, are Indian beauty traditions, are they going to be embraced by more than just the South Asian community? I think that's like kind of an outstanding question that a lot of people have and I'm in it every day. So I see that it is going way beyond and I'm really excited about it. It's people from all different cultures and backgrounds that are oiling their hair, that are using, and again, they may or may not ultimately know the history of saffron and, and all of that, and I hope to educate, but they're connecting with the product, the results, and they're excited to learn and be educated about the culture and the reason behind it. So I feel so hopeful because I feel like I'm seeing the future I do feel yeah. that pressure today of like being that first South Asian brand, uh, Ayurvedic skincare brand in Sephora, because ultimately if we're successful, they're going to bring on more people in the category. So I hope that we can prove that out so we can create more room for other people to be telling the story at different price points and different interpretations and, and all of that. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm so, it just, I'm so excited um, to have that opportunity and to have that gift to be able to create pathways and open doors for so many people. I mean, Michelle, it's just, it's historic and, and it's phenomenal. Um, and it's exciting to see and to watch. And even when you think about the work outside of the product, overall, just culture, you um, have a nonprofit organization in India that empowers women and children through community programs to elevate health and livelihood in India. How important is that to you when you think about, it's not just about the product, we've talked about the people, 
but now you are giving back to an entire community that is really looking to you in terms of uplifting and providing space. Talk about the foundation. Well, it's super exciting. So it's the Desai Foundation. And I think that obviously it gives me tremendous joy to be able to, you know, be able, you know, to, be able to support their programs and continue to increase donations as we grow. It's very fulfilling for me, but I actually think the point of it is when people are purchasing Ranavat to know that, because I think you feel really good about yourself when you do something good for someone else. Like it does give you a nice like pep in your step. Like I made someone feel really good today. And so I just wanted the customer also to feel that sense. And so I really do give them the credit for being able to, to you know, do the work that we've done. And in terms of Desai Foundation, I mean, there's so many, that's kind of the thing with organizations. Like there's so many that you can partner with and they all have such compelling reasons. You can really go in any different way. And so it's such a struggle, but I really loved Asai Foundation because they had a connection and they have a lot of programs on the ground in India. And for me, you know, I, I wanted it to be one focus on education. So they do a lot of community programs where they provide education, but then they also have this whole like entrepreneurial side where yeah. they educate on period stigma, but then they have a whole sanitary napkin program where they're teaching, you know, how to create and manufacture sanitary napkins, how to sell them in the, um, wow. in like the community. And so they really created these like entrepreneurs. And so that's like a, you know, a great connection. Like I feel very um, just connected to that mission and you see the confidence that they have when they become these like business women. And I'm like, that's so cool to empower someone to feel good about themselves. It's just like a great feeling, but I knew that it had to be in India itself. Like that was like a big part of what I wanted to do. Oh gosh. Being able to, to empower other people, especially because, you know, we have been very fortunate with everything that we have and everything that we're building. And, you know, we have to be of service and we have to make sure that we are finding ways to bring other people along. And so I love this notion of empowering someone else to feel good. And you're doing it as a person with your circle, with the products and with the foundation. So it's it's so exciting. I just, it makes me so happy. And the fact that you have stayed so true, you know, made in India, you're giving back to India, you're doing all of these collective things for the community. Um, and so as we close up, I just, I could like go on and on. So we have this great new segment um, that we created. And so it's rapid fire questions. And we're calling this incredibly luxurious on behalf of you. So I'm going to ask you three questions, fill in the blanks. It's fun. Okay. Okay. Blank is my favorite luxurious ingredient. Oh, saffron. hundred <laughs> percent. You're like, hands down. Didn't even have to think. The most luxurious experience I've had to date was? Uh, I would honestly say like time with my parents because you just don't know when things will end for everyone in life. And so I always just count it as such a blessing. And so I feel like luxury for me is just time with my loved ones. You know, it's maybe a little cheesy, wow. but it's true. Any chance that we can get, even as fast as we're moving, I am always mm -hmm. trying to think about that. Um, and it's real. And the last one, the most luxurious lesson I've learned that you can't put a price on was what? Uh, I would say humility, because if you are happy with what you have now, you're going to be successful. I think a problem is a lot of times we say we're going to happy, be happy when we get into Sephora or when something, something happens. And that's just like not the case. And I think if you appreciate what you do have and don't focus on what you don't have, you are so much happier in the day to day. You're grateful for what's coming in and you're enjoying the moment. And that's really how we should all live. Oh, that's so great. This, this notion of like gratitude and appreciation. And it is like, 
we were talking with another guest about being in the moment and savoring that moment. And yes, we can think to the future and we can have vision, but we still have to be happy with where we are now, knowing that there's always greatness and goodness to come and living in gratitude. So um, thank you for that. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait. Saffron, you and I are going to have a whole shopping experience around that. <laughs> so Michelle, to close out this the show, we always ask our guests to share a product, a brand that they're coveting. Um, we always like to shout out your brands, but we also like to build our community and support others, which I know is important to you. So what's another brand we should try? Ooh, okay. Does it have to be beauty or can it be not beauty? It can be any type of a life hack brand that you are coveting. <laughs> so there's this girl that I met. Um, so she started this company called Humble Co. H-U-M-B-L-E. And mm -hmm. it's knitwear or just like kind of like basics, but they're made with like really great fabrics. And she gifted me Ooh. a couple at an event and I just like kept finding myself like gravitating towards them and I kept wearing them. And, you know, she says it's a small South Asian founded brand. And, you know, I just fell in love with the products. And so I just want to give her a shout out. Oh, my gosh. I love that. That's exactly why we do this. Um, to just give shout outs, raise awareness. And then selfishly, I love all the new brands. I'm like a, a product brand person. So Humble & Co., we will check it out. Thank you so much. Um, so Michelle, this has been so great. I am just so personally, I feel so connected to you and like from the moment we met. And it's so great to just see the growth and the expansion. I'm gonna do a vision board this weekend. Um, so thank you for joining. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks to Michelle, make sure to follow Humble.co. They are a clothing brand with proceeds benefiting mental health foundations in India. So make sure to follow Humble.co. And as always, I love to leave you with one thing from today's guest. And that is know what you want to accomplish know what you want to accomplish. Thank you for that, Michelle. And as always, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.